0: I'd like you to open your Bibles once again to Hebrews chapter 13. It is a pleasure to stand here and deliver the first sermon in 11 weeks. I am still in the process of healing. I will be for quite some time. But I am pleased to be well enough to stand for the next two hours to speak to you. In one of my weekly updates, I told you that the goal of my physical therapy was to get me standing for two hours of preaching. And we're going to test that. We'll test my health today. Uh, I'm going to try to slow down just a little bit away from the way I normally preach. Maybe that won't work, but last night my wife and I were, were reading, in scripture, reading the scriptures, and, and usually what I do is read out loud, and she, she follows along, and she said, could you slow down just a little bit? And uh, we would discuss what we've just read after, we've, after we're done reading. So I kind of take that to heart today. Maybe I should slow down. Just a little bit today. In these past weeks, I I have watched others fill the pulpit. And each of the men who who took my place were worthy replacements. But I'll tell you that I was envious. Uh, I had this pulpit built to my specifications. This is my baby. And I should be the one who is standing here. I watched Brother Castro and he's too tall. I watch Brother Jorge, he's too short. <laughs> I am just right. Just right for this pulpit. As Jesus would say, the others climbed up some other way. And I'm thankful that you can climb, that you did make it up here. You preach great messages. The people were blessed. But I would rather be standing here than the pretenders to the throne. So the timing, though, of my return is not what I prefer. Today is Mother's Day. I, I typically preach a Mother's Day sermon. It seems that every Mother's Day I tell the story of how I, I once skipped preaching the Mother's Day sermon and uh, I was nearly fired for breaching the liturgy. But, but I've been saving up my strength against that outcome And uh, I'm going to preach. I'm not going to preach a Mother's Day sermon today. I'm going to do without it. And uh, hopefully you'll feel sorry for me in my weakened condition. Uh, I've noticed, though, that some of the famous preachers that you watch on television don't do Mother's Day sermons. They continue on with their regular series they're preaching. They may focus on something else. So I'm not preaching a Mother's Day sermon today, but I do want to acknowledge mothers. We, we have a gift for you after the services. Actually, probably for all the ladies of the church, you're welcome to it. Um, I do want to acknowledge mothers. I want to acknowledge especially godly mothers, those that are dedicated to seeing their children come to know and obey the Lord. I especially commend mothers that give themselves to the church and to the Lord, that sacrifice as they raised their families. My mother passed away about two years ago. It was after a good long life, a long battle with Alzheimer's disease. And I'm still saddened that that I wasn't able to attend her funeral. Uh, I love my mother, I miss her very much. But on the day that she died, uh, Pam was just released from the hospital and uh, I didn't want to leave her side. Uh, She insisted that I do, uh, that I would do it, that, that I would fly to Kentucky and be at my mother's funeral. But I remember that the Lord said that a husband must leave his father and mother and cling to his wife because they are one flesh. Later, the Apostle Paul wrote that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And so if love and marriage can be compared to the supreme love of the universe, Christ and his church, then there was no way that I was going to abandon my wife in her time of need. Now, for those of you wondering about Pam's health, what will happen to her, um, we're reasonably sure that if the Lord doesn't intervene, that it's likely to become a very rough road, a very difficult road. But I'm not going to abandon her. She belongs to me, and I gladly take responsibility for her. Well, if not a Mother's Day sermon, then what will I preach to you today? My text is Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8. Remember them which have the rule over you, and have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, and today, and forever. This is my text, but I won't spend any time today describing the context and the reasons that this text appears in this place in the Holy Writ. Uh, Usually I do speak contextually, that is with design and purpose. Usually I would give you the background of the text and why it is important in its context. But since I'm not not proceeding with a, an exposition of Hebrews. Um, that's not my purpose, but my purpose for reading it will become apparent as we work our way through this sermon. Now, besides chucking the Mother's Day sermon, there is th- th- this is another first. Uh, I'm not so sure that what I have to say can be called a sermon. It's not the usual thing that I do, even though it does have the classic three-point outline. It might be that I've been out of the pulpit too long, I've forgotten how to do a sermon, Uh, but for those of you that have been Bereans for a long time, and others who visit our church, you can attest that I've never used this pulpit to talk about me. I don't preach sermons in which I'm the hero. I rarely mention myself in sermon illustrations, and certainly never to hold myself up uh, to be applauded. But I do believe that pastors ought to be an example. Hebrews says of the pastor, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation, or that means their way of life, that is, mark the faith and experience of the pastor and consider how his faith is expressed in his life and how his faith has affected his life. My focus every time that I come into the pulpit is Christ. Christ is who I want to preach I don't care for sermons that don't exalt Christ I care nothing at all for an attitude that says I don't need to be instructed that says I I I know what I'm doing I know where I'm headed I know what I'll do in the future I don't need anyone's advice or anyone's direction those who who think that way whether it's the regular guy in the pew or whether it's a person who's in the upper echelons of church hierarchy they are fools in the beginning, fools in the middle, and fools in the end. I admire the man who has the attitude of Solomon, who humbly bowed himself before the Lord, and he said, I am as a little child. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. Give me wisdom to judge your people. Now, Solomon, who had become the richest and the wisest man that the world has known, If he knew his place, then I'm sure that I have no trouble understanding where I stand in this pecking order. I know who I am, what I am, and what I am, uh, my place in the kingdom of God. Now, I do understand that there has been some discussion and speculation this past week about the title of this message and whether this message pretends some kind of announcement that's going to be made um, Something that's about to be done, but I find it very hard to remember something that hasn't yet been done. My message today is different. It is a testimony. It's a remembrance. It's my opportunity to talk about what the Lord did in leading me to Berean. This is not a biography of my life that begins with me being born in a manger. Nothing like that. This is a story about the Lord's leadership. It's, it's a story about decision-making. It's a story about precedence and what was taught to me from the very beginning when I was a child growing up in church. And it became the bedrock on which I stand as an adult. This story doesn't begin with my birth. It begins with loading the car and heading to California. Now, my first topic of discussion today is priority. Priority. A scripture that will guide us concerning priorities, Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. And we just read a few moments ago uh, the preceding verses up to verse number 17. Verse number 18 says this, And he is the head of the body, that's Jesus Christ, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In all things, Christ must have the preeminence. In all things, Christ must be the priority. Now, if we were Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons, this verse wouldn't mean much to us because we would deny that Jesus is God. We would deny the Trinity. If we were agnostics or atheists, it wouldn't mean very much to us because our view of humanity would be that self is the priority. All true Christians in their Christology believe that Colossians 1.18 is true. All Christians in their theology say that Colossians 1.18 is true. Christ is God. God must have the preeminence, and therefore Christ must have the preeminence. Christ is the priority of our lives so that we make no movements, we make no decisions, we do nothing without considering how we may best serve Christ. And whether we admit it, most Christians are functionally more like atheists and agnostics. Self is the priority. We brought into this culture that self is supreme. And so therefore, self must be satisfied. Self is God. And thus we come to church, or don't go to church as we please, We work or we don't work in the church as we please. We give or we don't give to the church as we please. And yet the doctrinal standard that we boldly uphold against those who deny the election and predestination of God's people says this concerning Jesus Christ in Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12. It says, "...in whom, that is in Christ also, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated..." According to the purpose of him, he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. We are predestined for God's purposes and for the praise of God's glory. We are predestined by God's will to do God's will. We are not predestined for self. God chose us for himself So a Christian has one priority, Jesus Christ, and whatever it is that will glorify him. Everything that we do considers him first and how we may best serve him. Isn't that what we sang just a few minutes ago? Were we telling the truth when we said, Thou and thou only first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure thou art. On Friday night, January 3rd, 1997, I began loading the car to come to California. I was offered a work opportunity that had the potential that I would be able to help churches all across America. It wasn't an opportunity that I would have considered except that I had transitioned out of the church where I'd served in ministry for 24 years And I would never have left that church except there was a a change in the pastorate after my father retired, and then the church began a theological drift that was intolerable. The doctrinal position of the church changed. That actually gets me into the second aspect of my story, but we'll hold on to that uh, just a little bit longer. I saw that the doctrine that took my dad as a faithful pastor Uh, in the church for 29 years to build was torn down in as little as two years. The church lost its moorings, and so I knew that I couldn't stay, and I knew that the Lord was ready for me to move. So the Lord opened his work opportunity, but I was not going to take that opportunity without considering the proper priorities. And that was the preeminence of Christ in my life for me and my family. And there was only one way to verify that decision to move was the right decision. For 24 years, I worked in the church. The church was my life. I wasn't motivated by money or by an opportunity, only the opportunity to continue serving Christ. And so that meant that I must have a church to go to and a promise of ministry in that church. Well, I, w- I was prepared and I received the promise and I had a place. And I was going to continue my ministry. So on January the 6th, 1997, the car was loaded. My Ford Explorer was packed to the gills. I had my clothes. I had my essential items. But most of the room was taken up by a three-foot computer tower and a huge CRT monitor, if you remember those, in a three-by-three box. That took up most of the room. But I left on Monday morning by myself because the kids had to finish the school year and uh, they would join me later. And I was forlorn to leave my children and my wife behind. I'd gone no more than five miles from my house when I turned on the radio to hear a rendition, a piano rendition of Pachelbel's Canon in D Major, which is what Clarissa had been practicing for months for a piano recital. I heard that, and I just... Oh, just it, it was gut-wrenching to leave them behind. Well, I was on my way, though, and... I wanted to enjoy the trip, and so I took a longer route than to see scenery, and so it took six days for me to make that three and a half day trip. I arrived in Napa, California on Saturday the same week. Obviously, the next day was Sunday, and so I went on Saturday to meet the church or meet the pastor at the church. So we went into his office and we sat down, and about four or five minutes into our conversation, he suddenly interrupted himself and he said, I forgot. I don't have a sermon for tomorrow. So he calmly reached down into the left desk drawer, fumbled through some pages, and pulled out one. He said, well, I think this will do. Well, right then, I knew that my best laid plans had gone wrong. This wasn't the place for me. So I found myself in unpreparedness. That meant that I was set adrift... In an unfamiliar place where I had no idea where I could find a church to attend. So at this point, it meant that ministry was in the distance. And so I began to look. I began to look. There was a long search. That brings me to my second observation. Number two is fidelity. Now, we'll pause for just a moment to think about this word. What do I mean by Fidelity. Well, most of us are older, we remember vinyl records and cassette tapes that were stamped high fidelity, and that meant that the sound reproduced was without distortion and was very close to the original. By fidelity, I mean faithfulness to God's word. I mean adhering closely to the truths of scripture without distortion. I mean faithfulness to what you have been taught by good men of God. As our text says, whose faith follow. Now my scriptures on fidelity are two among dozens. You know these very well. Second Timothy 2.15 and Jude verse 3. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And Jude, verse 3, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Yet there are two other verses that I added after I completed this outline and had it printed and And, uh, made up the PowerPoint. So you can make note of these and you can look at it later. Second Peter verse one or chapter one verses two and three where Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory. And virtue, I want to ask you what what is the method of gaining knowledge of God? How do we gain things that pertain to life and godliness? Where does this knowledge of the one who calls us to glory and virtue? Where does that knowledge come from? Do we gain this by singing praise songs? Do we concentrate on the words of hymns? And that's our focus in worship, mainly on the abilities of singers and musicians to play beautiful music, to sing upbeat songs, to sing emotional songs or happy songs or sad songs. Is that where we gain our knowledge of Christ and learn about faith, virtue, godliness and patience that Peter mentions as he goes on in those verses? Well, the answer is yes. We do get some knowledge from good hymns from good songs that we sing, songs with meaning, songs with doctrine in them. Yes, we do get some there, but you've been taught in this church that our focus is not on performances. It is not on the platform. We have a music ministry, which is a good ministry to have. It is biblical, but we do not offer it for entertainment. We do not offer it as the main way that we worship God in this church. Our knowledge of the one who calls us to glory and virtue is through the Word of God. It's through the preaching of the Word of God. It's through our insistence on fidelity, on faithfulness to the Word of God. So you come to Berean for the Word, because the Word is the source of all good in your life. And I want to make that very clear, if it isn't already, how passionate we are That it is the word that we preach from this pulpit. And I believe in guarding the pulpit so that you receive truth. This is why I would have someone like Pastor Castro come and preach to you. Because I know him. I know that he preaches truth. And I know our own men have been taught here. They will preach to you truth. So I won't turn the pulpit over just to anyone. We must hear the truth. Now I think most of you know that I am studious. You certainly know I'm doctrinal. And I don't make those statements pridefully. I only make them as a fact that I've spent my adult adult life studying the Bible. I do not believe in approaching the Bible half-heartedly. And neither do I uh, take the responsibility of teaching others other than what the Word of God says, that I must give an account of what I teach and how I teach it. Do I teach the truth And do I do it because of the love of God's people? Someday I'm going to meet Jesus Christ. He's the preeminent one, and he will examine what I've taught. Was it to please him? Did I tell the truth of his word? That's what he's going to check. And that's the reason why that I could never work in a church where the pastor plays golf and doesn't prepare because he hasn't the time or the burden to study. Now I want to take you back to priority for just a moment. I don't know everything that God has in His plans. I do know this, that God honored my desire, He honored my desire to consider where and how our family would serve Him. The first place didn't work out. Second, third, fourth, fifth places did not work out. In each place the doctrine wasn't right and or Christ was not exalted in the word i don't expect every church to perfectly agree with me, and where I found some that were workable, there were other stumbling blocks that were in the way. in one church, there was an old fellow from Arkansas who was a very, very good preacher. I liked him, but he was a placeholder he He then was on his way out and it was in that church that i that I met something someone or Something that is just all too commonplace in Baptist churches. No one spoke to me except one person. And I appreciate that this one person spoke to me, but this person was not interested in me, and perhaps that I would join their ministry. But instead, he talked about the problems of the church, and of all the other churches that he had attended. So this was a man with a bitter spirit. Now, I've got to give you scripture so that you learn something today. So I refer you to Galatians 5.15, which says, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So I suspect that this man had devoured quite a few. And here he was on the lamb, traveling around from church to church, because there were quite a few that were seeking to devour him. But he was the only one who spoke to me. And several weeks went by that I attended that church with the same result. I was approached by only one man. And then I needed to be ready for the stare down if I sat in someone's pew that I wasn't supposed to sit in. And I had various experiences like this. I went into one church in Sonoma. I walked in and and I was under the eye of every person. They all turned around and looked as if they had never seen a visitor before. And no one spoke to me. You know, the scriptures teach us about hospitality. Here in this chapter of Hebrews that we just read, the the second verse has a very peculiar way of putting it. It says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So there's two churches that were not aware that an angel was in their presence. (laughs) I'm reminded of a story in Judges about a man who visited a town late at night. He went straight into town square, and in those days, um, there were no hotels. It was expected that if a stranger came to town that someone would see him, they'd offer him a place to stay and take him in. Well, this man waited, and many, many people passed, but none offered to help. But then finally there was one man who did. But the wicked character of that town evidenced by the lack of hospitality, caused a very bad outcome. Now, I'm not going to tell that story. You can look it up in Judges chapter 19. But it's just a reminder to you that people come to Berean looking for a church, and hopefully they're looking for friends. Did you spot the visitor? Did you stare them down? Or did you go and warmly Greet them with a smile and with care and concern. And I want to tell you that with what's coming in the next few weeks, we had better be thinking about this. Some of our most faithful people are leaving. We appreciate them. We wish them well. But there will be a major hole to fill in leadership and help in the church. And you may not be aware that I've already talked to some who've anticipated this and they've already told me they will work harder. The work will go on. And don't think that a person needs a title to work in the church. You don't need a card that says deacon on it. If you need the card, then you don't need the job. Well, I returned to Fidelity. I knew that I had to find a church that was faithful to God's word. I must find a church that is doctrinally sound, that's not wishy-washy. I must find a Baptist church, because I am unashamedly a Baptist through and through. I must find a church that's not afraid to preach the truths that they claim to stand on. And if you haven't already investigated this, I can tell you, you are too far behind the game. It is not easy to find fidelity to the Word among the entertainment that's offered. It is not easy with the complacency that's found in most Christian churches. People are less and less interested in commitment. And this is why we face an uphill battle rebuilding. The landscape of religion has changed, I know. I lived in the Bible Belt most of my life. And I can tell you that the Belt is full of holes. And that's because Christians have become skinnier and skinnier in theology, in lifestyle, and in what? Priority and fidelity. And so they cinch the belt tighter. They keep making more holes in the belt because there is no fullness of God's Word. Don't think that it's easy to find out there. On Sundays, they take their children to play ball. They take them to other activities and they teach them by their lifestyle that church is not a priority. When the word says go to church, they don't go to church. So I came from a place like that. Not in my own church, but a place like that that was filled with Baptist churches like that to come here to find churches like that. They're the same across this country, folks. My search for the right church continued to the point that I had to pare down some of my expectations. Before I started my extended search, I decided that I would draw the baseline at the King James Version of the Bible. I'm not prepared to give you a sermon on Bible versions today, but I can tell you that notwithstanding Mormons... The King James Version is a version that is used among conservative Christians. At least you can hold out some hope for fidelity if the preacher is committed to preaching from the King James. Now let me say that with this caveat that I know many good, solid preachers who who preach the truth and they don't use it. They preach the truth but they don't use it And they preach more truth than many who use a King James version of the Bible. What version you use is not necessarily going to determine what's said from the pulpit. But I've been around a long time, and I know that the King James is a good place to start to find the Bible taught rather than some sort of whimsical Christianity. Now, as you can imagine, my list pared down dramatically. In 1997, there were not too many churches that had a web presence. Uh, Some did. Those on the cutting edge did. Those that were hip, I mean, that's their motif, so they had their websites. I didn't have the web for research. And so I, I would travel out to different towns for miles, checking out Baptist churches. I was in Napa, and so I branched out to Vallejo. I was over in Fairfield. I was down towards San Francisco. And, of course, I came to Santa Rosa. And on one Saturday, I visited uh, the parking lots of several Baptist churches. This was on a Saturday. I found one without a real schedule of services because they were sharing building time with an apostate church. There was another Baptist church that was purely social gospel, and they were more interested in civil rights than they were religion. The same Saturday, I passed by Berean. And I took note. This would be my next try on Sunday morning. Well, this was late in July of 1997. I'd been looking for seven months, and I came to this church on Sunday morning. My daughter, Clarissa, was with me. Uh, She came to California early because she needed to get registered for college. And so the first box was checked when I came here, and that was, it was a KJV church. A second box was checked. The people were friendly. Now, that wasn't by any means the most important because you can grow in relationships, but it did check a box. Now, I have to be totally honest. I do know what I'm doing with churches. I know Baptist churches. I know the history of all the different flavors. I am particular with doctrine, and I knew that Berean could not check many other boxes. I understand that many don't believe doctrines in the Bible because they've never been taught those doctrines. I know some don't believe them because there are certain doctrines that are misrepresented by preachers who neither understand them. I'm aware I can be patient until I have opportunity to discuss and and to explore further. So to find out if I could join this church, I had to sit down with the pastor and discuss issues that were important to me. I think some of you are probably already a little bit ahead of me. You think you know what those doctrines were. And I will say, you are wrong. I already knew there was no hope on those doctrines. Those doctrines take more study. They take thorough thinking, not knee-jerk responses. Those doctrines require deeper thinking, not because you need to be smart to understand them, But they require deeper thinking because they're at the forefront of debate for centuries. They must be investigated with an open mind. And I knew that that had not happened, maybe would never happen in this church. But mostly it hadn't happened because nobody knew these doctrines. Nobody thought about those doctrines. Nobody knew to take issue or not to take issue with them. That was totally a non-starter. So my queries were not those. You can be wrong on those doctrines, and although they have everything to do with salvation, they are not requirements to know and understand to be saved. Believing or not believing those doctrines is not necessary to constitute a true church. Now, that's what I believe, and I'm very much aware that others are not reciprocally as charitable. Now, I'll hit on that issue in a few minutes. So I centered my discussion on ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. What did this church believe about local church? Now, I've taught on that many times. It's not necessary for me to elaborate on the different positions. I wanted to know what this church believed about local church. I wanted to know what this church believed about baptism. I don't believe churches can be constituted without proper baptism. And again, this is not a sermon about baptism. I was... Concerned whether this church took baptisms from groups that were not of like faith and order, I was told that it did not. I asked about communion, whether this church invited the unbaptized, non-members, to participate, and I was told that it did not. I asked about church discipline. Did this church keep people on the membership role that stayed out of church or were involved in sins that should disqualify them from being members of the church? And I was told that it did not. And I want you to understand that many of my questions did not receive answers until I told what I believed. And then it was said, that's what we believe. (laughs) I'm not here to throw stones at former leadership. Those are things that are long past beneath the bridge. And when I became pastor of the church, I found out there were some things that were not right and demanded correction. I found out some things that if I'd known it at the time, that would have kept me from joining Berean. But God had bigger plans. And I mean totally unexpected plans. And I couldn't have been prepared for this in January of 1997 in Kentucky. Now you see the preeminence or the priority of Christ. You see fidelity, faithfulness to the entire Word of God. Those were my driving motivations. And that sets the stage for part number three And why I am the pastor of Berean. Thirdly, I want to speak of availability. Let me give you some scriptures to preface the last part of our discussion. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll look at um, verse number 8. 2 Corinthians 9, verse number 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Let me just camp on that scripture for just a moment. The context of it is very important, so we want to look at verses 6 and 7. So if you look there too. In verse number 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Obviously, these verses are about giving. Availability. Now, I can honestly say that I have tithed and gone beyond the tithe For the 20 years that I've been pastor of Berean. Before becoming the pastor, I was fairly well off. I was fairly well off. I never begrudged one dime of what was owed to God in all ways that I received income. I made myself available to the Lord's work to give. That's not a boast. It is a duty. I don't ask for wonder and amazement. I think that you think that's expected of leadership. I think that you think this is what leaders of the church do. They follow the word of God. I think it's expected of everyone to follow the command that the Lord gives, to give of all of our increase, always, not just the weekly paycheck. We ought not to be caught dead, with the Lord's money in our pocket. And though my back hurts right now, I'm willing to stay with you all day to discuss Scripture on this. I don't think I need to. Everything, everyone here knows what you will do. And it will be based in Scripture or it won't. Do you, do you understand? Or do we need more discussion of this? Christ preeminence and fidelity. That's how we respond to our, the Lord our God. Now, to move on from giving, we'll go to Colossians 1, verse number 10. This is in the introduction to the Colossian letter uh, we read a few minutes ago in which Paul would shortly speak of the preeminence of Christ, who exactly he is, and why he is preeminent. Now, he speaks of the Colossians' faith and of their fruits. Now, keeping this in mind, he tells the church in verse number 9 that he constantly prays for them. Why? Verse number 10 gives the answer that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We are to walk worthy of our salvation. How? By being fruitful in every good work. Now going back to the 13th chapter of Hebrews, at the end of the same chapter as our text the author writes in the benediction of the letter, verse number 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice the work of God in Christ. There is peace, and I think the peace here that he speaks of is reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. There is the power of the resurrection. There is this appellation applied to Christ that he is the great shepherd of the sheep. And then notice what God established through him. Through his blood, there is an everlasting covenant of life. God the Father heaps praises on the magnificence of His Son. And we cannot miss here that working for the Lord is pleasing to God and it brings glory to Jesus Christ. This means that every Christian should be, must be, available for God's work. He is not preeminent in your life if you are constantly unavailable because you're doing something else. Well, when I became a member of Brian, my goal was ministry. I didn't sit on my hands. When I was not the pastor, I was waiting for my opportunity to be busy in ministry. In April of 1998, I volunteered for the music ministry. Um, I was experienced from my previous church. I, I didn't ask to be the music minister. I asked only that I could give advice. I would give advice and make suggestions. And let me tell you something. When you bring a suggestion to the pastor about how to improve things, you can expect to have a suggestion come back at you. I suggest you implement your suggestion. That's what happened to me. Why not to you? So I ended up in music. Well, I was also experienced in the diaconate, having been ordained in the church many, many years before. Leading music makes you a public figure and People either like you or they don't. Just remember that, Samuel and Tate. People either like you or they don't. And evidently, they liked, liked me enough that I was elected to the deacon board. Now, the pastor eventually may not have been too happy with that because I was not a patsy. I asked um, respectful questions. I offered insight from my experience. I've been in church all my life. When I came on the board, the only one on the board with real experience was Larry Jefferson. Now, no details here, but the Lord was working. And he saw fit for Larry to adjust for a while because he wasn't happy with the leadership of the church. And all I can say is this, that Larry knew what I would later find out. And when Larry left, I was the only one experienced on the board. And then I became, I was asked to become the chairman of the board. During all this time, I was available for teaching. This is the time that the Sunday morning form class was born. Uh, it was out of that class that was fomented, the, the surge for me to become the pastor when the pastor became vacant. None of this was known to me in Kentucky in January 1997. And in 2002, the pastor abruptly quit and I was leading the deacon board. Now, I'd been doing most of the preaching in the church for quite some time because the pastor had a heart condition, he had a long illness, and so I was doing the preaching. And uh, when he quit, I was asked to become the interim pastor while we were looking for a new pastor. I was a logical choice in the short term. I had no designs on becoming the pastor, not even a thought And since I was the interim, I thought it was best to exclude myself from becoming a candidate for the permanent position. And I thought it was only fair to prospective candidates, when they came in, they they would know that they were facing me for the position. I didn't think that was quite right. So I was going to remove myself from it. But then the situation completely flipped. Before anyone was called a candidate, I was asked to become the pastor. And so I said, well, I'll pray about that. And I took six weeks to pray about it before I would give an answer. If this is what Christ wanted for me and for the church, then I was willing to serve Christ as the pastor. And make no mistake, i you know, I was raised in a pastor's home. I knew all the heartache that goes with it. Being uh, in the church all of my life, I know how churches can treat pastors and how it often brings heartache. But what I'd never personally experienced, though, was the personal blessings that come with being the pastor, just like I've experienced in these past months. The personal blessings of being the pastor of the church. How much people care for you, take care of you in so many ways. Well, the church wanted me to become the pastor. They voted for me to become the pastor. Now, I'll take you back to fidelity. I joined Berean knowing there were areas of doctrine that were not right. I learned that there were practices that were not right. I knew that it was wrong for the pastor to be the Lord over God's heritage. And if you're taking notes, the reference would be 1 Peter 5.3. I knew that was wrong, so I wasn't going to be that kind of a pastor. I was not going to rule God's people. I'll teach God's people, but I will not rule you. That, that ruffled some people because they need to be told everything that they do. They couldn't think for themselves. But I was not going to be that kind of a pastor. Fidelity to the scriptures, getting up close to the original, meant correcting these issues. And so I felt that it was my calling in this church to bring this church in line biblically with our old, historic, Baptist confessions of faith. Some of those confessions go back centuries to the time before we were called Baptist. These are the doctrines that we stand on today in this church. And what they do is they give us a different perspective of God. A different perspective of ourselves. A different perspective of our abilities who are sinners in the world of darkness who have no ability in the spiritual kingdom of light. They also make Christ preeminent. In salvation, a doctrine that cannot be reached through man centered theology. Now, here's what I want you to take from this anthology of connected ideas that I've called a sermon Christians are not designed to be onlookers, Christians are not designed to be freelancers, Christians are not designed to be tag alongs feeding off the good graces of others. We are to be doers of the word. We are to actively participate in good works that glorify Christ. We are to be available to work. And So when any member removes from this place, the appropriate homework should have been done. Another church must be found. And I can promise you that the likelihood is that compromises must be made. And you must be careful how and in what You compromise. In some, if not most churches, Christ is not the priority, although lip service is given. In some churches, probably most, fidelity to the Word is only skin deep. In some churches, probably most, it's easy to get lost and blend in and not do anything. And so if for a time you need to bite the bullet on some interpretations of doctrine that you don't like then make it your choice to do your best to be an influencer for truth. And I don't mean be a troublemaker, and I do not mean to subvert the authority of any pastor. It's far better for you to move than to be a distraction, whether that's doctrinally, politically, or socially. Christ is your theme. If he gives opportunity to discuss and bring people to the truth, then seize the opportunity. Well, when I left Kentucky, I hadn't the faintest imagination of this church and where God would take me. I can say by His good grace that I've strived for the right priorities. I have taught with fidelity. I've made myself available to the good work. God gives. God gave. He still gives me opportunity to teach you. And I do this for the church, the good of the church, and for Christ's glory. There's a promise that's made to pastors in First Peter that, I believe, is also true for any faithful church member. If you do his work, this is the result. First Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. That ought to be at the front, at the top of every list that we have. A crown that fades not away. I close with this. Always make Christ your priority. Always stay true to God's word. Always be available to do God's work. And I hope as your pastor that, that I've provided for you what Hebrews says of those who rule over you. Now, you, you might think this is an odd thing for me to do, but as a commentary on Hebrews 13, 7. I want to read this verse to you from the English Standard Version. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Would you sing that with me? Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life to god be the glory let's pray heavenly father we come before you now and we thank you that we've been able to bring the word maybe it doesn't fit as the normal sermon and and again i would say to god's people that none of this was intended to lift me up to exalt me in the pulpit it's just a story it's just a story of your providence of your grace and how you can lead when the right priorities, when the right attitude is taken towards how we spend our lives serving you that 's what we 're saved for to serve you, and may that be the most preeminent thing of everything we do. no considerations unless that is consideration number one. I ask you to bless this church we again I, I, I say that we are headed for difficult days, we know that. Um, it's your church, and so we, we just turn it all over to you. Uh, you are the sovereign God. You do what you will do. And, Lord, we just want to be in the center of your will to do what you would have us to do. May we always be there, always consider that, that fidelity to your word, availability to do your work. Bless our people today, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity you've given to health to stand here for this time. Bless our people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bbaptist.org.